To those of you listening to us on the internet, to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, and to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God upon which we base our message on this, the festival of the resurrection of our Lord, is the Old Testament reading. For this morning, from Isaiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 6, you heard that read before. I just called, recall these words. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wine. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, died, and was buried, and lives once again, my beloved. I want to begin my message this morning on this glorious, and it truly is every Easter is a glorious Easter Sunday, by using the word destruction. Now, I mean kind of the, the kind of destruction that annihilates things. And maybe when you hear the word destruction, it conjures up thoughts of bombs and smoke and fire and leveled buildings like Hiroshima or like 9-11. But who wants to think about stuff like that on Easter Sunday when our thoughts are directed to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? And we celebrate with a special meal and special flowers and special hymns. Well, you see, our God desires a feast for us. A feast better than any Easter breakfast, better than any graduation celebration, any better than any wedding reception. He desires to celebrate a heavenly feast with us. But he could not have accomplished that without destruction. For us to experience the everlasting joys of heaven all the evils that would impede that celebration had to be removed. The veil of sin had to be removed. Death had to be swallowed up. Tears had to be wiped away. And disgrace had to be removed. The destruction of all of those evils was accomplished by our risen Lord. Now, this morning we review the words of the prophet Isaiah who wrote these words some 700 years B.C. And we want to take a look at the accuracy of that prophecy of Isaiah and also see how it was exactly fulfilled by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus as he destroyed sorrow. Now, every Easter, of course, you recognize with me that it's absolutely essential that we review all the facts of the resurrection. We have to think about the dedicated women who rushed to the tomb in twilight. We have to talk about a weeping Mary. We have to talk about a doubting Thomas. We have to talk about those Emmaus-bound disciples. And all of those people were overwhelmed with grief because they, their Savior had died. But then they were also overwhelmed with joy when they saw their glorified Lord living again. There was no stone large enough. There was no seal strong enough. There was no Roman garrison powerful enough to hold our Savior in the grave. 
His ugly death was transformed into a beautiful resurrection, and we celebrate those facts today. But above and beyond all the facts, which are miraculous in and of themselves and take God-given faith to accept and believe, there's also the significance of those facts. In other words, what did Jesus rising to life once again mean? And what does it mean for me? 700 years before Jesus arrived in the manger of Bethlehem, Isaiah the prophet of God made these predictions about the Son of God and what, would he, and what he would accomplish with his humanity. He said, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Isaiah was predicting that one day God's Son would come down from heaven and on the mountain of God where the city of Jerusalem is located, he would cause events to, that, to take place that it would make it possible for us to have the finest banquet as possible. And of course, what he meant was a heavenly home. And Jesus did provide that banquet for us on the hills of Jerusalem. On the hill called Jerusalem, Jesus died. On the hill called Jerusalem, Jesus was buried. We reviewed all the gory facts of Golgotha this past Lenten season. And also on the mountain called Jerusalem, Jesus broke forth from the grave. What does it all mean? St. Paul tells us, He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised again to life for our justification or our declaration of not guilty. By Jesus' activity on that mountain, Jerusalem, he was preparing our heavenly banquet. And he had to get rid of all of the evils that would have impeded that festival celebration. That's why Isaiah goes on and he says, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. There's a shroud that covers all of humanity, a blanket which makes everlasting joy impossible if it's not destroyed. And that blanket, that veil, that shroud that covers humanity is sin. Now, I did a little surfing on the Internet this past week because I wanted to take a look at uh, this, uh, the Earth's major devastating volcanic uh, eruptions that destroyed people down through the, the ages. Thera, Greece, 1600, Manoa was destroyed. Mount Etna, Italy, 1669, 60,000 people homeless. Uh, Tambora, Indonesia, in 1850, 92,000 people died. Krak Krakatoa, Indonesia, 1883, 36,000 people died. Everybody perhaps remembers, many of us, Mount St. Helens eruption in 1980, $1 billion damage, 57 people died, and of course the, the most recent one in Iceland of 2010, where thousands of flights of airplanes from Europe were canceled. But the one that comes to my mind was a documentary that I saw about Mount St. Helens in 1980, and I can still remember a guy that got uh, trapped in that, uh, uh, that ash, and uh, he, he couldn't breathe, and he was actually photographing this. 
and he was breathing and trying to hold a handkerchief to his face, and he says, I think I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it out of here because his car wouldn't work because of all the ash, and he had to walk like five or ten miles till finally he was out of there. And the, the street lights had to be uh, turned on in the, in the city during the middle of the day, and nobody could wipe the ash off of their car because it would ruin the finish, and some people died. Horrible mess. That's a pretty good description of sin and its blanketing effects on the human race. Because of sin, two-year-olds fight over toys. Because of sin, nations fight over borders. Because of sin, some people wake up on Easter Sunday to do little more than enjoy an Easter parade, some hard-boiled eggs and candy, a story about an Easter bunny, a good meal, maybe some warm weather, only to ask themselves after it's all over, is that all there is? But Jesus died and rose again so that the pollution of sin that sickens our lives and our souls might never condemn us to hell and might never hinder us from that joyful heavenly feast that God wants to provide for us. I mean, did you ever think of it? What it's going to be like? No more greed and no more starvation and no more shortages and no more abortions and no more fighting. Nothing to stop the heavenly wedding banquet of the bridegroom Jesus and his bride his church, that's you and me. And it's all possible by God's almighty power rending helpless and pointless the shackles of death. Isaiah goes on and he says that God's Son also will swallow up death forever. You know, death is that ugly dragon that swallows all of us up. Nobody is exempt. But God says that he's going to send his son who is going to swallow up death. Put it out of existence. You know, there would be no joy to look forward to in heaven if death were allowed to haunt us. Now, I can't think of a whole lot of events in our everyday life that are probably as happy and as joyful as a wedding and a wedding reception. I mean, aren't they great, except sometimes the music is kind of loud? But uh, everybody's there, grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and all the little kids. And you see a, a man and a woman pledge their lifelong faithfulness to each other. And then you go to a banquet where for you the food is all free and most of the time it's pretty good. And there's conversations. But there's always that doggone unhappy moment of every wedding. And that's when it's over. I mean, you try to prolong it. I sometimes kid the uh, young men and women that approach the altar and I said, I'm going to preach a two-hour sermon for your weddings just so it lasts a little longer. Everything comes to an end here on earth. Good times come to an end and because, ta- because time runs out, time runs out no- not only on good times but on our life too. Death is the culprit that casts that shadow on everything in life. But Jesus destroyed and swallowed up the enemy of death. Jesus said, The Son of Man must be crucified by the hands of sinful men and on the third day rise again. And because I live, you also shall live. I think to really understand what Jesus did by swallowing up death is sort of um, 
like what he did is he put death in a, re, in a re, reverse process. Most of us have DVR players at home, don't you, or, or some type of recorder? Just imagine if somebody could record your entire life, everything you did, all the way up to the time that you were died and then buried. But then they could put the camera in reverse. Wouldn't that be kind of unusual? Jesus reversed all the effects of death. That's what Jesus did in the resurrection, reverse the power of death. No matter how badly nature can depose our mortal remains by judgment day, a time is coming, Scripture says, where all who are in the, their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Did you ever have to say goodbye to a loved one, probably somebody who was quite senior, and they lived maybe across the country. And when you had to say goodbye, it was really with a whole lot of sadness in your heart because they were quite elderly and they lived a long distance away and you didn't know if you'd ever see them again. Death is destroyed. Because of Jesus' resurrection in heaven, there are no hearses, there are no cemeteries, there are no memorial cards, there are no caskets because death will be extinct. And that's perfect joy. And that's what Isaiah was prophesying when he said that all that would be fulfilled by Jesus. Isaiah also says that all tears are going to be wiped away. Is there anything that makes you cry? A family argument? Loneliness? The inability to accomplish that one great thing and you couldn't do it? Pain, loss of a loved one. How nice it would be if we could just return to those good old days when we were little children and we fell off our bike and either our dad or mom came and picked us up and wiped us off and dried our tears and everything was so much simpler then. Because Jesus rose, he promised that all of our tears are going to be dried up for good. In heaven there aren't going to be any Kleenexes because you won't have to dry any eyes. The emotion of sadness is going to be a thing of the past. I mean, with illness, anger, death, all alleviated, there's going to be nothing to cry about, only eternal joy. And finally, this morning, Isaiah wants, to know, wants us to know that he's also, God's also going to remove all this grace. And sad to say, at this very moment, as we are worshiping our resurrected Lord here at Beautiful Savior, there's a whole lot of people all around the world who are wondering how you and I can be so naive as to hold to the story of a Jewish carpenter who died and came back to life. And sometimes those dis uh, disbelievers say nothing about their disapproval, but many times they're quite vocal about their disapproval. And sometimes they tell us to our faces that we are so foolish and childish to believe that a Jewish carpenter could come back to life. But our faith is not in vain. And Christ is risen from death. And on Judgment Day, all of those voices pronouncing disgraceful comments about us are going to be silenced. Because when Jesus comes to judge the earth, they'll be standing there too and there won't be any unbelievers on Judgment Day. And on that day, Isaiah says, what we're going to say 
Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And that's why on this Easter Sunday, we talk about destruction. Destruction of all of the evils by Jesus that would hinder our heavenly joy. Sin and death and tears and disgrace. Now, I would have to say this morning that after everything is said and done from this pulpit this morning, you probably realize as good Lutheran Christians that I didn't say anything new. I didn't say anything that perhaps you didn't know already. But sometimes, just sometimes, we tend to take this greatest miracle of all for granted, Jesus rising from the dead, because we've heard it so many times. But what if we didn't hear it? What if we heard only the message of spring and how the earth renews itself after winter and how hope springs eternal and how Easter is a time for children and how we should view Easter through the eyes of children? I mean, if that's all there is to Easter, then there is no lasting joy. The message of Easter is one of destruction, evils, that would hinder our eternal joy in heaven, sin and death, and tears and disgrace. And they're all destroyed by Jesus because of Gethsemane and Golgotha and an empty grave. He has destroyed them all forever. On this Easter morning then, rejoice in the joy of your eternal life that you have starting right now, prepared for you, by a Savior who was dead, but who was, is alive, and who destroyed sin and death and tears and disgrace forever. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning we confess our faith by the words of the affirmation of baptism on page 6. In holy baptism our sins are forgiven and we are granted a new life in Christ our Lord. I ask you, as a reaffirmation of what God has done for you in your baptism, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Is it your earnest intention to continue steadfast in this faith and in the promise of your baptism, and as a member of the church, to be diligent in the use of the means of grace and prayer? 
Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you the new birth of water and the Spirit and has forgiven you all your sins, strengthen you with his grace to life everlasting. We take this time now to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards. <laughs> 